0: Greetings and welcome to the writings of uh, Søren Kierkegaard. In Danish, somebody was telling me last night it would actually be kirkul, uh, because that A-A-R-D sound, like the uh, guy that's been winning the Tour de France, who's from uh, Denmark, it's like an oo sound. Um, so it's interesting how when we uh, when we take a name of someone from a different language, different culture, we kind of, at least in, in the case of... Uh, America, we Americanize the name, or British british size the name. Uh, I think if we're trying to be culturally sensitive, we should uh, pronounce it the way that they pronounce it, right? That would make more sense. Anyway, I'm Birkegaard. I would say Birkegaard because I'm, a, I'm American, but Kierkegaard, something along those lines, I think. That, that's what the guy was telling me. He's a big biker, so the guy that's been winning the Tour de France has uh, a last name that ends very much like Kierkegaard's does. And uh it's been a bit of an issue that people don't pronounce his name right. So we're gonna we're gonna hit the um this upbuilding discourse uh quickly here today and uh power through and hopefully get a good chunk of the remaining part of this uh of this discourse uh, finished. Uh this possesses uh this possessor must possess his soul as a legitimate property property, but nevertheless must not possess it in such a way That the person himself cannot gain it as a legitimate uh, possession therefore uh, this possessor can be none other than the eternal being than god himself here emerges the same self-contradiction as the one between possessing and gaining the same thing at the same moment this cannot be done with the temporal and the external for example no external and temporal thing can be fully possessed by several people at the same time, but is always possessed by only one. If it is said that the world possesses it, then no one, uh, no one else possesses it. If a person thinks that he possesses it, he is possessed by it. If he really does possess it, he possesses it as something uh, surrendered and consequently does not possess it and yet the world does not possess it either therefore the external and temporal becomes what is supposed to be only when uh, when no one at all possesses it (laughs) or when it has become a matter of indifference the eternal cannot be possessed by several people either or either it can be possessed only by one for the same reason that it cannot be both possessed and gained uh, this is the kind of stuff that drives people that are not familiar with uh, Kierkegaard. Uh, a bit crazy, but uh it's things of the soul are complicated sometimes things can be simple in a way, like love your enemies, pray for those who mistreat you it 's pretty black and white and some of these other things uh, as deep as the as deep as anything right the eternal nature of the human soul. What well, people foolishly and patiently crave as the highest without really knowing what they want. What is horrifyingly to see when someone succeeds in doing it, namely to win the world and to have won it. This is what a person begins with and is uh, so far from being the goal that is the very thing uh, he should abandon. Uh, so Soren is making the case that this pursuit of the world is fool's gold. Even if it's real gold, it's still fool's gold if the person trades their soul for it. His soul is a self-contradiction between the external and the eternal, the temporal and the uh, eternal. So these, these are common words for um, Soren to use, temporal and eternal, internal versus external, stuff like that. It is a self-contradiction because wanting to express the contradiction within itself is precisely what makes it what it is. Therefore, his soul is in contradiction, and is self-contradiction. If it were not in contradiction, it would not be lost in the life of the world. If it were not self-contradiction, movement would be impossible. So I got to think about like like losing one's soul. Uh, we've talked about the conflict that Kierkegaard had with uh, the Corsair, that literary magazine that was lowbrow, that took uh, lowbrow sh- lowbrow shots at the what considered kind of the elite of uh, Copenhagen society and the editor Goldschmidt? Um, it was popular, uh, the Corsair was popular and became increasingly so in its battles with Soren. Soren became less popular. It was similar probably to John the Baptist, something along the lines uh, it was increasing and uh, Soren was decreasing. Soren became an object of ridicule uh, because of it because uh, he was caricatured in the Corsair. But Goldschmidt, the editor, uh, was was benefiting financially and otherwise from the notoriety that w- was happening. Uh, but one day, he and uh, Kierkegaard crossed paths, and Kierkegaard just looked at him, and uh, Goldschmidt soon uh, soon abandoned the magazine uh, because Sorn was essentially saying, and this is what it's become, this is who you are now. You're associated with this magazine that has such a... Such a lowbrow way of attacking people, and uh, and Soren was very hurt, and he was also he was also going after the Corsair. He wanted the Corsair to stop. He thought it was uh, appealing to the rabble and to the herd mentality. Uh, so that makes me think of Goldschmidt uh, abandoning the magazine, and that was Soren's goal: is to get him to stop doing it. It is uh, we're not if it were not a contradiction, it would be lost in the life of the world. If it were not a self contradiction, movement would be impossible. It is to be possessed and gained at the same time. It belongs uh, to the world as an illegitimate, illegitimate possession. It belongs to God as his legitimate possession. And I think that's some strong theological uh, language there. The, the soul is created by God and the person creates something, uh, usually owns it and they can share it with someone. Uh, God allows us to have a soul. But it belongs to God. I guess that's how I would see it. It belongs to the person himself as his possession. That is, as a possession that is to be gained. Consequently, he gains, if he actually does gain, his soul from God away from the world through himself. Uh, so this is a good stuff. Therefore, it was foolishness and impatience to want to gain the world, a striving to become the imperfect that one already was, a desperate aspiration to secure what one already was in such a way that it became more and more difficult even ever to be rescued from it therefore to gain his soul was a task that announced a struggle with the whole world since it began with letting a person be at the goal of that earthly craving possessing the whole world in order to give it away this was a struggle that brought a person into the most intimate uh, relation with God, a struggle that promised he, uh, himself, him himself an in eternal in eternal understanding with God, promised him the gain of not the external, which cannot be possessed essentially by anyone, and which because of it, uh, because of and in spite of this imperfection, in one way or another, makes a debtor of anyone who actually comes to possess it. The struggle, however, promised him to gain, um, let me try this again promised him the gain of that which can be, be possessed essentially which does not belong to any other soul in the world which by being gained does not make him a debtor to fortune or fate or chance or people or friends or enemies of the world since on the contrary through this gain he extricates himself from the debt uh, to the world by giving to the world what is the world's Uh, that's a reference to give give unto Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's and becomes a debtor only to God which is not uh, to be a debtor since God is the only good and himself uh, gives the possibility of becoming his debtor can there be anyone impatient enough to refuse to comprehend uh, this gloriousness even though he did not have the patience to gain it Mm. let me take a break here I've decided to use the new microphone. I think it's it better, but not universally than the iPhone uh, microphone and earbuds. Um, this microphone seems richer to me, uh, but it also has a register that if you talk too loud, it overwhelms the uh, the mechanism. So I can't I can't shout and scream or get loud. In patience, the words do not say through or by means of patience but in patience and thereby suggests the condition stands in special relation to the conditioned. of course the merchant also needs patient also needed patience as did the fisherman but in addition needed various other things needed insight and experience tools and merchandise if without these or without knowing about them he sits in patience um, and waits if he thinks that knowing about patience is adequate for gaining his living and his catch, then he will soon find himself deceived. But if the person who wants to gain his soul does not want to understand what he has won, patience, he has won what he needed. What was of more value than any other winning, then he will never gain it. It is already obvious here how secure this gain is, since it it is in a profound sense It is so cunning that the more the world deceives, the more patience wins." So the world will double down and triple down on this idea. If this gain, the very condition is also the object and is independent of anything external. Um, The condition, therefore, after it has served, the gaining remains as that which is gained. That is the difference from what happens when the merchant has sold his merchandise and the fisherman has caught his fish. They lay aside patience and also their tools so that they may enjoy what has been gained. And the external patience and some third element is some third element that must be added. And humanly speaking, it would be better if it were not needed. Some days it is needed more, some days less, all according to fortune, whose debtor a person becomes, even though he gained it ever so little, because only when he wants to gain patience does he become no one's debtor. Therefore, even though patience is praised in external life, it ne- nevertheless is and remains a burden. For example, the hiker carries a walking stick; he does not deny that it has weight, and that uh, that to that extent he has to carry more than he would otherwise. But he reckons that the walking stick will aid him so much in his hiking that the gain will be greater, and his walking made less burdensome. Uh, Soren was a big walker, of course. And he owned a lot of walking sticks, apparently, and he also owned a a lot of uh, coffee mugs, or china. Uh, So he was a collector of things beyond just utility. He had an assistant that um, he would ask to grab a a coffee cup out of the cupboard and the assistant was always puzzled which uh, cup to to grab because there were so many to choose from. And he had a lot of walking sticks uh, sitting by his door. If he, could be, if he could be convinced that this was not so, he would not take along a walking stick, just as he now lays it aside upon reaching his goal. If the likelihood that the condition would drop away from the condition, uh, from the condition prevailed also uh, for the person who wants to gain his soul, then no one would be so deceived as he, because the condition that made possible the gaining of the soul was precisely the possession of the soul consequently if it were possible that when he had gained his soul that he could lose the condition that he would also have lost what he had been gained Uh, so make sense of that i'm reading it as best i can as it is written in external patience is a condition that is praised since the world is as it is and since experience has taught that accordingly uh, patience is necessary, but it cannot be endorsed with uh, full certainty as one as the one thing needful. And I love it when uh, Soren makes a reference to the scriptures. And that's uh, that's in reference to Mary and Martha, with Mary laying at uh, Jesus' feet, and Martha going about the house to prepare the dinner and cleaning up and stuff like that. And Jesus tells Martha that you're worried about many things, and there's only one thing that is needful. And I know that I know that story can be misused, that uh, Mary seems like she's slacking off, but if the son of Cod comes into your house and you're concerned about dust on the furniture uh, or something of that nature, it can wait. Um, better to spend time with the Lord, right? And the external perhaps at times impatience would be more profitable and would hasten the gain of what is coveted. So if a person's truly uh, worldly, impatience actually works sometimes in terms of acquisition. In other words since the external is a dubious good any condition for gaining it can uh, only be a a dubious dubious good i love the word dubious i use that today dubious but use it appropriately and the ultimate consequence of imperfection is that there is no certainty that can assure with full certainty the perfect however can be gained with full certainty because it can be gained only by coming into existence within its own presupposition perhaps there was a merchant who thought through his impatient plans quickly became rich whereas another patiently waited in vain for the bad seed also uh, w- that also grows in impatience but the good seed grows only in patience so that's a referral to the parable of the soils that Jesus said some seeds spring up quickly but they have no root or they land on a rock and they die but it's the one that it's that four seed that's planted in good soil that takes time The goodness of the seed and the goodness of the soil is proved by the fact that it doesn't happen quickly. But this certainty uh, has uh, no doubt or experience can attain also grows in patience. But this certainty uh, that no doubt or experience can attain also grows in patience. It grows in patience. And these words, uh, the condition and the condition are again inseparable. And the words themselves uh, suggest duplexity and unity. The person who grows in patience does indeed grow and develop. What is it that grows in him? It is patience. Consequently, patience grows in him. And how does it grow? Uh, Through patience. (laughs) It's an old idea that adversity prepares you for adversity. That's what it does. And that's why it's valuable. Uh, Some adversity prepares you for more adversity. And that was a philosophy of mine in education that I encouraged high school students to challenge themselves both in the classroom and and extracurriculars, because the world is going to be a challenging place, and if they if they spent their time in high school, you know, kind of abusing the system and just doing as little as possible and getting by, uh, the chance that they would go out to the world and be able to flick that switch on, it's not in, not entirely impossible, but it was an improbable. We, we tend to be a creature of habit, uh, so do hard things because it prepares you for the ability to do other hard things. If they, the person who gains himself will. Just be patient. He will surely grow in patience. In the one case, the word means that in which a person grows. As if one were to say he grows in favor and wealth. In, other, in uh, the other case, it means that whereby he grows. F, if one were to say through sagacity, through the counsel and the help of friends. To gain his soul and patience. When we put the words together and consider how a person will be able to comply with them. The first requirement is that he have the patience to understand that he does not possess himself, that he have the patience to understand that a gaining of his own soul and patience is a work of patience, that he uh, therefore ought not to pay attention to the passion that rightly thinks that it can grow only in impatience. The words in, inculcate uh, this in a twofold way by containing, in their brevity, a redoubling, which is the Danish word, uh, f-o-r-d-o-b-l-e-n-d-e, for dublende, uh, repetition, they admonish one to gain one's soul in patience as they admonish one to gain it. Uh, the word alone, uh, the word alone contains An admonition and patience it does not say seize your soul as if it were a matter of a moment. As if uh, the soul uh, rushed by and it were a matter of seizing the moment and the soul. But thereby, thereby all would also be either lost or won. Nor does it say save your soul. A phrase that the scriptures in other respects frequently uses with its devout earnestness. And it is indeed also certain that the person who gains a soul also saves it. But the phrase to save one's soul does not focus the mind on patience in the same way and could easily uh, suggest a precipitousness, which everything uh, would have to be decided to gain one's soul, however, immediately turns the mind to the quiet but unflagging activity. This manifests itself even more clearly and by the contrast even more earnestly. When we consider that these words are said in connection with and in the process of describing in shocking imagery the horror that would befall Jerusalem. I had a back and forth yesterday with a friend of mine who was sending me some videos. Which uh, tend to have a futurist interpretation of the book of Revelation. That the apostle John wrote the book for thousands of years later which is hard to believe entirely because um it's clear that the book is written to the seven churches of asia and it's written uh in a way that that things are shortly to happen it doesn't mean it doesn't have application for our age but the primary fulfillment of, of revelation was when it was written and that's a little bit debatable in terms of when that was but it certainly wasn't uh 1972 uh but i mentioned to the individual that the uh The discourse uh, that Jesus had with his disciples in Matthew and in Luke is certainly referring to present day events that are soon to pass in their generation, which is the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and everything within it. We consider how these words uh, are said in connection with and in the process of describing in shocking imagery the horror that would befall Jerusalem. So remember, uh, we've talked about this quite a bit, but Jesus is talking to his disciples who are admiring the temple. And the temple was the symbol of all things Jewish and God's love for the Jewish people. So to talk about the destruction of the temple, the most beautiful thing that they were in awe of, was as if their world was turned upside down and destroyed. As it were, the destruction of the entire world. So that's what Soren says, that to these disciples and to Jews in first century uh, Jerusalem and elsewhere, the destruction of the temple was the destruction of their world. When they would be, when there would be signs in the moon and stars, and the sea and the waves would roar. And this is metaphorical language. The scriptures use this, use these words and these terms plenty of times, where it's not actually physical, in terms of the the elements themselves doing it, but the uh, the elements are affected by the human calamity at hand. Uh, there would be signs, uh, signs in the sun and moon and stars, and the sea and the waves would roar, and the powers of heaven would be in tumult. Then, if ever, uh, would the uh, moment be to admonish everyone to save a soul? <clears throat> Yet the words used are to gain your soul in patience. So, this is what Jesus tells his disciples that, you know, keep that internal calm and the eye on eternity. God is at work. You know, God can work in calamity, and he was working in calamity. There was, there was a judgment upon the system uh, that was very, very real. Uh, And nobody should miss that. Uh, The Old Testament is full of examples when the people of Israel were disobedient and were punished. Um, Can a more sublime contrast be imagined? So Jesus is counseling for these disciples and those who would hear his teaching to have eternal and internal patience in the midst of this outward calamity. If you truly know a, a wise person who has the Spirit of God in them, um, it is amazing how calm these people can be in difficult situations. Can a more sublime contrast uh, be imagined or uh, is this not the hour in which the admonition is transfigured in heavenly glory? The elements disintegrate. The sky is rolled up like a garment. The abyss of annihilation opens up its throat and roars for its prey. The shriek of uh, despair of despair, sounds from from every direction Even inanimate nature groans in anxiety. Yet the believer does not press uh, forward battling in order to find rescue. But while nothing has continuance, while even the mountain tottering abandons the the site which it has stood without moving for thousands of years, he remains quiet and gains his soul in patience. While people are about to die of fright and the expectations of things to come. So the book of Revelation is written to the seven churches of Asia. And Jesus is making very, very clear in the midst of the persecution that he will triumph over it. It's not going to be fun. Uh, This idea that somehow God's people avoid the suffering of the world is often not substantiated by practical experience. And we mislead uh, people when we tell them that God's going to make their life easier or better in the worldly sense because that's not always true god will make them better over the long haul and the things of the world will make them better if they are in god while people are about to die of fright and the expectation of things to come so he remains quiet and gains his soul in patience while people are about to die of fright and the expectation of things to come The emphasis that is already given by the phrase to gain is inculcated even more penetratingly by the added phrase in patience. Indeed, the words in their entirety are kind of a picture of the whole process of gaining, that it takes much, it takes place much uh, as the words proceed uh, with their communication. That is, it is all a repetition. So, this is a continuous process that we are supposed to. uh, gain our soul and patience. And we can lose it too. Like It could be a waxing and waning to some degree, uh, depending on how obedient we are. Perhaps the persecution that we're facing, let's not be too spiritual about it. Increased persecution brings things out of us that often stay in recess until they are challenged. Uh, So, It is a question not of making a conquest of hunting or seizing something, but of becoming more and more quiet because that which is to be gained is there within a person, and the trouble is that one is outside oneself. Uh, because that which is to be gained is in the patience, is not concealed in it, so that the person who patiently stripped off its leaves, so to speak, would finally find deep inside, uh, but is in it f- so that it is, a pa- it, is, it is patience itself in which the soul in patience is, and closingly spins itself and thereby thereby gains patience and itself. <clears throat> so let me take a drink of coffee here. So we're, we're knocking out a lot of words here today and we still have a way to go. I don't think we're going to finish this uh, upbuilding discourse today, but we're making progress. We're tracking through it. Um, If a person wants to embark upon this gaining, he is required to have the patience to begin in such a way that he truthfully confesses to himself that it is a work of patience. If he does not begin in such a way, he will never gain. Since this gaining is not like an earthly gaining that may for some time seem to net no gain. But on the contrary, it is a loss, at least apparently, and therefore it takes the patience to want to begin it. Since the very thing that is inflammatory and provocative to impatience, nevertheless declares itself to be a gaining. What is all this winning of which we speak? It is to acquire one's soul as it as it is. But it does indeed seem that one has has it from the start. Here is a question of uh, here is a question not of adding something to the soul by, but by subtracting something from it. That is to say, something. It apparently possessed, but is there then no other way in which a person can grasp his soul? Can he not wrest it away from the power that illegitimately possessed it? What with, uh, with what is the soul to do? Uh, with what is the soul to do this except itself? But since it wants to grasp itself, it does not possess itself. Moreover, is not that power stronger than he since it has been able to take possession of his soul? What is always the weapon of the weaker? What is always the weapon of the weaker? It is patience. But then must not he possess his soul in order to have the patience in which he gains his soul? Not at all. For patience comes into existence uh, during the gaining, and in this gaining he does not become stronger and stronger. Uh, which uh, must be assumed if if he were to use force, but he seemingly becomes weaker and weaker precisely because the world possessed his soul illegitimately. The ultimate consequence of this, also because the world actually is the stronger, is that he becomes weaker and weaker in regard um, to the life of the world. If uh, the soul were not heterogeneous to life of the world it could never be gained but since it still belongs to the world the gaining can have no other presupposition than this insignificant quote patience and this again in such a way uh, that it is not but becomes in patience the soul comes to terms with all its possessors with the life of the world and that it sufferingly gains itself from it with God, in that it sufferingly accepts itself from Him, with itself, and that in itself retains what it simultaneously gives, uh, gives to both, without anyone's being able to deprive the soul of it. Uh, <clears throat> patience. The soul can obtain nothing through power. It is in the hands of an alien power. If the soul were to free If the soul were free in some other way, it would not be the self-contradiction and the uh, contradiction between the external and the internal, the temporal and the eternal. The self-contradiction is again expressed in the soul's being stronger than the world through its weakness, in it being weaker than God through its strength, in its inability to gain anything but itself unless it wants to be deceived and it's being able to gain itself only by losing itself. So so Soren's developing uh, this idea that we gain ourselves by losing ourselves, which is what Jesus said. Uh, We are born in the condition of sinfulness into this world. Now we inherit it like a genetic um, defect from our parents and our ancestors, but we're born in a state of sin in this world. We don't have original innocence. The soul already comes in not as a blank slate, but already written with a story of humanity on it, which is rebellion against God. Let's be honest, that's part of the human story. And we inherit that when we're born, like like a disease, it's a spiritual disease. Now, we're not responsible for it in one way, it's genetic, spiritually genetic, let me use that wording. Uh, but we are responsible to acknowledge it. It's like when you go to a doctor and a doctor says, well, you have this condition. You can walk out and say, no, I don't and dispute the doctor, but if the doctor's qualified and has used the right diagnosis and is educated and has expertise in that area, uh, who is the wrong individual in that in encounter? It's the person who's sick. So we have a responsibility to admit that we are born in this condition. So one way we're responsible and another way we're not. It's, it's this kind of a balancing act that we want to be clear about, that we're born in a state of sin. And we're not really responsible for it because we didn't commit the uh, transgression, but we do inherit it. And and this is the human community. There's things that happen all the time to innocent people, so to speak, where they become um, victimized by someone else's negative or evil behavior. Children that are sexually abused, drunk drivers, kill innocent people. Uh, someone is uh, working in a work site and a co-worker does something dangerous and electrocutes them. This is, uh, this is just reality. It doesn't mean it's fair, but it's the way that it is. Um, so what Jesus says is we have to lose that false self, that self that we're born into as a human being, into the human community in time and space. We have to die to who that person is. We have to surrender that. We have to uh, lay it down we had to let God transform it. So a lot of times the evangelical language of conversion is like, come to Jesus, and uh, things along those lines. But it's really a surrender. It's like a superior power comes to us and offers us a way through it and a way out of it. And our our, our gaining, our patience, so to speak, is gained by surrendering, that we lay down our arms. And when I became a Christian, it felt like God had me cornered, I I, I don't know. Uh, i don 't know how it happens i don 't know why it happened the way that way to me, but I felt like I was literally cornered in a room, and God was saying it is time to lay down your life. It is time to lay down this thing that you have continued to mess up, and it doesn 't mean after I laid down my arms that things immediately got better uh, i 've talked about that plenty of times. Uh, my life has not always been easy, and that that 's what makes this time so special that I am existing in right now, that it's like a second adolescence. I don't have a lot of responsibility. I can't be a knucklehead, but I have resources to do good. And I don't have to answer to a lot of outside parties. I'm not beholden to an institution or to a crowd or trying to get the crowd to applaud me or give me money because I'm desperately in need of it or my ego needs affirmation from some other authority. Um, I'm not, I'm just in this, beautiful place for the time being and it may not last longer than today for who knows what's going to happen but i have this ability uh so god has been good uh and i became a christian when i was 19 i'm uh i'm 60 years old now so do the math it's been a long time and uh you know 41 41 years ago I became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, I have some of the fruit of all those years of laboring and working and making progress and falling back and having adversity and accepting it and moving forward and thinking about what I was responsible for and how would I improve and all those things. So I'm going to finish up here. Uh, We only have a couple more pages in the Upbuilding Discourse. But sometimes I seek out resources on these Upbuilding Discourses or these ideas uh, because I like to see other people's perspective about it. And I've found when I use actually very specific uh, terms in my search in Google, like Kierkegaard and patience, then it opens up like a line or a vein of gold within the ground. Like this, These articles appear. If I just put in Kierkegaard, I'm going to get the same resources I always get. But if I put in like a specified term, it's amazing that when I think there's not a lot out there. Um, resources appear because i'm being much more specific on what i'm looking for you're not going to find something usually unless you're looking for it so there's an author by the name of timofy gerber uh, t-i-m-o-f-e-i gerber and he wrote uh, an article uh, for a magazine e-p-o-c-h-e Epic magazine i'm not sure how it's pronounced i think it's french but it might be something else he wrote in english though at least one of the versions of the magazine is in English. And he wrote an article called Kierkegaard's Patience. And it's issue uh, number seven, published in October 2017. And he says, uh, patience is not a tool, but a con- but a condition. So it's a state of soul versus like picking up something like a fishing rod or a walking stick or whatever, like those things that Soren was using. And we're a very uh, technique-oriented culture, we, uh, we're, we're doers, we like how to's, three steps and four ways, stuff like that. You know, four, Three steps to a successful financial future, four ways to a beautiful um, relationship, how to lose five pounds. So we're very technique and tool-oriented, but this is a different, it's a different category. Uh, think about when Adam and Eve fell in the garden. They wanted to use the leaves to hide their nakedness. So our use of tools is very associated with our sense of trying to hide shame and gain authority, or to gain protection and stuff like that. It's a state, or it's a state of being. So this patience is a state of being, and this comes again from the article. A place. Uh, so that that's important to remember. It's not a tool. It's it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a condition. So that's the first point, right? Oh, by the way, I did hear back from one of the hopefully one of the guests that was the editor for that book of poetry. I got back a very disjointed email that was in three parts. I think he, threw, he sent it three different times. It was just kind of garbled, but he said yes. Way too busy right now contact me after the holidays and uh, we'll line something up. So I was suspecting that maybe the person was just very, very busy. And again, I have to be sensitive to that because I'm not particularly busy unless I choose to be. I'm not, I don't have a lot of external demands put on me right now. And I was just asking for a response, like just let me know. I had sent him a second email. And I like when people say yes or no very cleanly, Uh, like either say that you're interested or that you're not. Uh, Jesus says as much, let your yes be a yes and your no be a no, and anything else is not of the Lord. Uh, Maybe is tricky, because a lot of times people use a maybe as a way of saying no, like uh, maybe I'll come. Uh, And that's legitimate within some context, if there's a lot of things a person's dealing with that just haven't settled out yet. But maybe is an easy way to say no that saves face and is socially maybe perceived as more acceptable. But we're supposed to count the cost, and I don't like maybes because I'm like, what am I supposed to do with that? Do you you want me to continue to come back to you and keep asking you and become a pest? Uh, So I think the time for the maybe is for the person not to answer until they're ready to make an answer and say, hey, I need some time to think about it. Don't make the maybe a delayed no uh, because the person maybe is... uh, holding out hope that something's going to happen, when in fact the person who said maybe knows full well that that's not the case. Uh, They're going to say no, they're just not going to say it immediately. So what Soren calls impatience, not by patience, it's internal, uh, but it has an outward expression. It's organic versus mechanistic. We talked about this idea of a tool or technique. Uh, actually being still internally versus only externally. It is possible to be externally um, still and still be in tumult, to still have a condition of soul, which is an upset. It's not a Zen emptiness either, like the one-hand clapping stuff. Um, It's not an emptying. It's a filling of something else, eternal versus the temporal, the the, uh, internal versus the external. A confession to God that we are agitated, upset, ruffled, angry, tumultuous, um, I think we have to be honest with God if we are not patient to first confess that we're not patient, to be very clear about it, very clean. Uh, God can only take what we give Him in one way. He's, he's made the universe uh, set up in such a way that we have to participate in this process. And our frustration and our angers and our lack of patience is usually involves some type of deception of the world. Now a lot of this is my own thinking building on this ar- this article that was written. By Gerber. <clears throat> so this is all my own stuff. Like this impatience is usually involves some deception from the world. So give me a few more minutes to develop this idea. Um, we expect the world, and we we'll be we'll 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 kind of smile when we hear these things. We say, of course, I don't expect the world to be this way, but we really do. I expect to be worry free. I expect to be loved and liked. I expect to be healthy, and I expect to be happy. And uh, all of the time, or most of the time. Now we say, oh, uh, we don't expect that. I'm personally much more of a realist, but let's see when our, our plans are upset and see how we react. We react like we somebody has stolen our lollipop. Sorrow, loss, hurt, or normative. Uh, the fall has had some real consequences on the world. And it's the conflict between the ideal and the real. We can imagine a better world, we have that Edenic imagination. Of a, of a world that could be better but then there's the world that is and we have to keep these things in, uh, in, in tandem in the promised land the jews still had enemies the philistines and all those ite peoples the jebusites and etc cetera, etc cetera. <clears throat> and the effectiveness that um the jews had in battle with them was based on their obedience to god so they had this internal an eternal connection to god that when that was suffering because of idolatry and sin God used external circumstances to chastise the people and it happened over and over again. Um, and, and what does this mean in life? Okay, so we m- few of us are caught in warfare right now unless we're in Israel or somewhere else that's actively a war zone in Ukraine and something like that. But in, in our conflicts with other people, so there's a way to respond to that that is legitimate versus retaliatory. Like how do we respond to unjust behavior towards us without creating more damage or creating an escalation of the conflict so it's the idea of responding versus retaliation and uh, if we're in a situation with especially with supervisors or superiors or people in the workplace or otherwise families or whatever where you have authority figures responding inappropriately can be things like insubordination dishonesty insulting uh, playing the race card etc etc cetera. Et cetera. We have to respond in such a way that we don't create more problems, at least on our end, as much as possible on our end as, as the scriptures teach that we're to be at peace with people. <clears throat> and one of the concerns I have about right now that I have about the evangelical chur- church is we like a good scrap. We enjoy it. It's fun. <clears throat> it's entertainment. We feel righteous when we do it. God would be, ask us to be very careful about that because these conflicts can lead to other things and uh, much more destructive things. So Gerber, this is Gerber now, um, outward view of patience versus inwardness, a dominant desire that we perpetually, or we perpetuate constantly naming our dominant desire for possession, be it in the form of power, material goods, knowledge, or fame, the world. So we want this external, uh, what we kind of consider uh, possessions. We want all these things. worldly. Ownership is volatile and we give it up when we die. So inevitably we have to start losing the world before we die. Because if we try to take the world with us, it's not coming. Uh, So worldly ownership is volatile and we give it up when we die. So we're just anticipating the grave and we're preparing for it. The world is like the undulation of the waves. Uh, The disquiet, the difference between me and the world, uh, strengthen that. I must become weaker. So this idea is a surrender to God. We have to surrender to a superior authority. The world's a superior authority to us also. Um, It's bigger than we are. You can't control the world. Uh, we, We can't get a victory against God. What is temporarily might be perceived as victorious ultimately will be to our own demise. That kind of idea when i became a christian i was in a study carol at Miller's university i threw my hands up gave up trying to make myself right <laughs> i said i can't fix myself and that was the start of the healing process which has been lifelong possessing a soul is an ongoing un- let me just try this again possessing a soul is an ongoing is an ongoing process a new way of dealing with the soul not a stoical indifference, okay? So we're not supposed to become passive or impersonal or things like that. Not a stoical indifference. We, we have to be invested in this. So this is from Kierkegaard's *Patience* Epoch Magazine, E-P-O-C-H-E, Magazine.org, Issue uh, 7, Tim Fei G-I-M-O-F-E-I, Gerber. So that's it for today. I'll spell you, spare you the personal updates on things thank goodness i hear i hear the crowd say have a good one see you next week